Talk Zone presents Motivation with a Purpose Radio, the show that highlights the inspirational stories of people from all walks of life. Now, bringing you real inspiration, here are your hosts, Rich Hallstrom and Zeke Bambolo. Yes, Motivation with a Purpose is on the air, right on TalkZone.com. I am Rich Hallstrom with my good friend Zeke Bambolo, and every week we're going to provide for you stories of inspiration from all walks of life. Good Friday morning to you, Zeke. My friend, Rich, good morning. Thank you so much for this opportunity. As people may know, we're on the West Coast, so it is morning for us. You may be elsewhere in this afternoon or evening, but we are here this morning, late morning, and we are glad to be having uh, such a great discussion on Talk Zone and on motivation with a purpose. So thank you so much, Rich. It's a pleasure as always. Zeke, why don't we take a few moments to explain the purpose of motivation with a purpose and give a little bit of our backgrounds. I think since this is show number one right here on Talk Zone, that would be a good place to good place to start. Uh, motivation with a purpose is all about motivating you to think about what motivates you, what should motivate you, and how you are motivated so you can make the right kinds of choices and be motivated by the right kinds of things. And what we're going to do is we're going to share stories, concepts, and ideas to get you thinking about what real, true motivation is all about. And you know something about that, Zeke, because you have written your own book. Yes, folks, Zeke is an accomplished author. He's written a book called The Firstborn Son, and he talks about his very own unique life story. Why don't you share that a little bit, Zeke, as we get going here? I will try my best. You know, uh, it's not something that can be talked about in a few minutes, but uh, we will do the best we can just to say that the book, for example, uh, although it says the firstborn son, a curse or a gift or a calling, really focuses on uh, family legacy. And we are in a culture that does not do a lot to really pinpoint for our children especially, but as adults living exemplary lives, the importance and significance of multi-generational family legacy. So uh, I use this opportunity to tell a little bit of my story, which, uh, again, uh, is a long one, but comes about, about with uh, the background of uh, missionary parents to begin with in a foreign country, getting caught up in a civil war that really took a lot of our family and so many times being at the point of death, uh, gunpoint, myself, my family, especially my father, and going to some of those situations. But yet, with the instruction all along from my parents that I am the firstborn son of our family and that responsibility carries a different weight. So whereas most people just look at it from a place of birth order or a birthright, I take the discussion from the view, the godly view of the firstborn, which is a, a term that is used very, very frequently in Scripture to describe not only an individual, but a nation as a firstborn, king that is not a firstborn as a firstborn, just the leadership, and a variety of other ways. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been a great opportunity for me to share a little bit of my life, but to focus on a topic that really approaches healthy multi-generational family legacy, which is something that we will touch a little bit on today with the discussion that we have as a subject matter for our program today. And that is a great stepping off point. Let me tell people real quickly my background. 
Uh, for 19 years, I was a freelance sports reporter specializing in coverage of the NFL and the Seattle Seahawks. And through that association, I got a chance to meet a lot of people and know how people's lives could affect one another. And that is how Motivation with a Purpose came about. And on today's very first show, we're going to talk about a very, very important topic through the eyes of a brand new feature-length documentary, Rate for Profit. And that feature-length documentary illuminates and explores the reality of sex trafficking and its root causes by following the stories of the victims, uh, those that victimize people and the ones that are uh, that are being victimized and the people that are trying to combat it. And this documentary is set in Seattle, which happens to be the number three city for the activity in sex trafficking and human trafficking. And with us today are the creators of that very special and powerful documentary, Jason Pamer and Eric Esau. We welcome both you gentlemen to Motivation with a Purpose. Guys, how are you doing today? Doing great, man. Thanks for having us on your program. Well, we appreciate the fact that uh, you guys want to be on show number one here on Talk Zone, and I'm going to just get the ball rolling, guys. Uh, how does one get the idea for a documentary like this? How did this all come about? Uh, it was about two years ago when we saw a trailer for another film that tackled the national issue and what it looked like nationally. And we had a video production company up and going in Seattle, and we thought, well, maybe we should look at what it looks like here in Seattle. So we kind of embarked on this journey. I mean, I remember on the onset, Eric and I thought it was going to take us probably six months to adequately capture. But uh, as you get deeper and deeper into this dark, city world, it took us a lot longer. So we literally just wrapped the film about a, uh, three weeks ago. So uh, here we are today, two years later, and uh, we're more knowledgeable of the issue. It's been a tough road, but it's been a good road. You know, guys, I, I want to jump in here and just help with this intro because um, I want to take this point, Rich, if you allow me to uh, just talk a little bit about personally what uh, happened to me to me as I prepped for this show. And, and I looked at it from the point of view, Jason and Eric, also of being a father. So as I checked out the, doc- the documentary and the points that you were touching so vividly and obviously the visual effect of everything. I want people to right now start, if they're listening to this program, to start to get take a very personal and introspective look at what we're talking about here because as a father, just after going through the prep work and looking some up, looking at your film a little bit, as I drove my daughter to school, uh, particularly this morning, as I drove down the street, I saw these young, late, young girls, 9, 10, 13, waiting for the school bus and so forth. And it just struck me so personally to realize that my daughter, who was in the backseat as I'm driving to school, is potentially a victim out there that uh, as I drive down that road and see those young you can't tell who's a victim firsthand and who's not. And for a father... That's something that really got to the core of me as I drove around, as I drove and thought about what you guys are, the work you guys are doing and what you're revealing with Ray for Profit. Uh, I mean, how does that come into play with your thoughts, especially? Maybe you're not fathers yet, but when you talk to fathers out there, you see this, uh, this mm-hmm. kind of context in this, in this matter. What is it? How does it, how, how do you confront that? Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's exactly right. What, what we kind of discovered through this whole process is, that, yeah, these girls are our daughters. You know, a lot of times we think that sex trafficking is simply 
Um, there's some cargo ship bringing in a bunch of girls from Eastern Europe into our cities, and our girls are really, they're fine. They're untouched. But uh, really, how it looks in our area is um, it is it is our daughters. It's, it's our girls who are who happen to fall in love with some boy, and uh, they, the boy courts the girl for six months, and the families meet him, the parents meet him. Seems like the boy is a is a great guy, and then it turns out that all of a sudden he flips it on her, and uh, he ends up being a pimp, and uh, he starts to force her into prostitution, and. It is totally, yeah, it, it's rampant in our area, and it is our daughters and our girls. And, and for me specifically, um, throughout this entire process, when we started filming, I was engaged to my now wife. And going out, filming on the streets with the police, and Jason and I um, uh, going and capturing this whole issue, seeing these girls uh, being forced and being abused by these men, really, it, it struck my heart. It struck a chord within me, because I was like, you know, this could be... My, my wife here, this could be the, the woman I love with all my heart could have been trapped into this. And I, I'm right now planning this beautiful wedding, and these girls are forced to have sex with these guys. Whereas my wife's able to pick out a wedding dress, these girls are forced to hit the street. So it was, it was really difficult um, to deal with that. Jason and Eric, you brought up something that just a second ago that I was going to ask. How has it impacted your marriages? Elaborate more on that. Well, I think, uh, first of all, we married two amazing women, two women that have mm -hmm. been so supportive for us. I mean, to, to let your husband go out from 10 at night to 4 a.m. chasing Jones and pimps around Seattle, there is a certain level of, of support and trust that needs to be present. So, I mean, really, our, our hats are off both literally and figuratively to, to our wives. They have been uh, in our corner and in the rocks for us to go out every weekend. I mean, we were filming on the streets for almost a solid year. Almost every yeah. weekend we'd go out with the vice unit and we'd be rolling around and we'd come back into, into you know, our apartments and our condos and see our wives laying there. And like Eric said, he's planning this wedding. And it was, uh, it's been tough. We've got a great network of people around us, friends and family that have supported us and kind of created a web of, of uh, safety net, if you will, uh, for the two years we've been in this dark place. So we've got a great group of people around us. Yeah, these these women, they've really been our, our safe haven well, as we spend so much time doing doing this and filming this atrocity and having to edit in this whole process, being able to, to leave that and go home with our wives is really it's it's really been our saving grace. What has it done to strengthen the marriage in the sense that what ideas have you taken and said, I'm gonna implement a, B, and C in my marriage so that this doesn't happen to my family. Talk about that a little bit. Well, I think one of the things that we've seen, uh, our film touches on a lot of systemic causes and issues for this whole problem. Uh, we, we get down to the porn piece. So pornography um, is, a, is a topic that we touch on in the film. And every John that we interviewed, every guy that has bought or even sold a girl in Seattle or any major city across the country, for that matter, it starts with pornography. And in our film, we've got Johns articulating that for them, that's the start. And and, and uh, it wasn't enough to just go home and watch that stuff. They had to actually act on that. So I think putting safeguards in our marriage to, to not, you know, um, succumb to that, it's, it's, it's a desire, it's a fleshly desire, it's something that pulls at you, I think, 
again, having strong wives around us and keep that conversation open for us. Eric and I have had many conversations about, you know, staying away from that and, and putting safeguards in our family uh, to avoid that. Yeah, and as we get ready to start having having mm-hmm. children, we've been able to talk ahead of time and kind of prepare ourselves as parents. How can we best protect our sons, as Jason said, from getting caught into this trap of pornography? Uh, and how do we protect our girls from our daughters from uh, hearing and being manipulated by these by these crafty pimps? And um, so it's it's been a, a great a great time to practice and also been able to um, talk with other men and other guys on how they can be better fathers and better husbands. And so it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. Well, Zeke, I know this issue of father is close to your heart. You've written about it. It is also one of those systemic themes. Uh, with, without a shadow of a doubt, every family that we found uh, that had this issue in it, it was a lack of, of a father figure. Either the father was present and he was not fulfilling his role as a man or he wasn't present. It, was, it always stemmed from there. It was always the family. So in our film, we touch on the, the role of the family, the mother and the father, and, and what type of things you need to be speaking into the lives of your sons and your daughters, and how you need to parent and rear up a child in the way that they should go. So th- these are some real base issues that everybody, whether or not you have a kid, um, it's going to hit you internally at a number of different levels. You are, you are so right on point. I mean, I'm, I'm busting here to go in a, a bunch of different directions already because this is such a, such a varied conversation of, from so many points of view. But I want to stay here with Rich's theme a little bit. When you talk about yourselves and your wives and going back home and everything, I want to add another dimension, another dimension to this question, if I can, is how did your faith impact what you were doing? And when you, when you got through seeing all that stuff that was going on with evil, and, I mean, because I really, I'm really big about it, the battle between evil and good. And so when you're out there, you're confronting this thing firsthand, and Johns and Pims and you know, these these girls, victims, or some of them may not be the victims that we think they are. Nonetheless, how did your faith come into play as you went about this this project? Yeah, it's it was definitely um, we had a lot of there were a lot of different elements and different levels of how our test our faith was tested during this process. One one of the biggest ones for me is it's very difficult to not hate these guys who do this, to not hate the Johns, to not hate the pimps, and to just wish for their demise, really. It's, it's hard to see them as, as humans, as people that, that Christ died for, as, as people that, that Christ loves and adores and wants to help. And you also, it's, it's difficult because you want to just rip these guys out and then just grab the girls and run away to protect them and save them, but you just can't do that. And so there's that one element, and then there's the other element of, Gosh, Lord, how can this happen? How can man do do this? And how can this wickedness um, keep going? And so we took a lot of comfort, and I'm just so thankful that um, Jason and I were able to do this together, that we weren't doing it on our own, that we had our wives to, to really help us through this. But we were able to just connect with each other and be able to talk through these things and just go, you know, yes, the world has fallen, and there is grace and there is hope. And these police officers, they're providing the hope. Um, they are the ones who are able to save these girls. They are the hands and feet. And hopefully we can just, we can capture this to make people see this so that we can help fight this. So we, there's a lot of different emotions. We're able to really feel also like now we're becoming the hands and feet trying to illuminate this issue to people. Eric, you're right on. I mean, it's a very complex question. Eric and Jay. Go ahead, Rich. 
Jason, I was just going to ask, and I was just going to follow up with what Eric said. I was going to say or ask you, what do you think the film would have turned out to be had you not had the faith-based point of view to come from? How much different would it have been, or would it have been different? Uh, That's a good question. I don't know if it would have been different. I mean, our film, you wouldn't characterize it as a Christian film. It wasn't made for a Christian audience only. It's a film that we think everybody needs to see. Um, You know, I I think some of the the victims and survivors in the film, they speak from a place of faith and and, and Jesus and and how he was with them during hard times and times that they were trafficked. So I I don't know if it would have changed the way we made it. I think really it was an internal thing for Eric and I. I think, you know, we saw that this was at the very heart of God and that, you know, I mean, Jesus in Scripture is saying, you know, you who are weary and heavy burdened, my my yoke is light. And I think we saw this and we're like, these women out there at 2 a.m., they're tired. I mean, their burden is heavy. You know what I mean? And and that's to put it lightly. And so I think, you know, our our faith was really a thing that propelled us to make it. You know, we were funded for six months, but we spent a year and a half on the project uh, not being funded. So God sustained us on every possible level, you know, and so I think, I don't, I don't know if the film, and maybe, maybe Eric can talk to that, I don't know if it would look different, um, maybe it would, maybe it wouldn't. Yeah, I, I agree with Jason, I, our mission was to, to show the reality of what it, this looks like in Seattle, so that required us to be very honest, and to capture what these girls are feeling, and, and what happens to them, um, because we need to know we need to know the pain that these girls are going through. We can't clean it up because this is reality. This is truth. This is wickedness. This is what God sees, and this is what we need to see. Obviously, you know, we um, didn't show nudity and cover things up if we needed to, but we wanted to be honest and to be to be true. So, I, yeah, I don't, I don't really think um, there would be a difference uh, other than, of course, how it internally affected both Jay and I. We'll be back with more of our conversation with Rape for Profit Creators Eric Esau and Jason Pamer on this edition of Motivation with a Purpose right after this timeout. You're listening to Motivation with a Purpose Radio on TalkZone.com. Back to your hosts, Rich Hallstrom and Zeke Bambolo. Yes, you are listening to Motivation with a Purpose right here on TalkZone.com. Show number one, right along my side is Zeke Bambolo, my co-host, and our guests, Eric Esau and Jason Pamer, creators of the documentary Rape for Profit, exploring human trafficking from a very intimate point of view. And gentlemen, once again, we thank you for this impactful and important story. Zeke, why don't you take it away here as we get back to the show? My pleasure. So, gentlemen, yes, where I wanted to, you know, I want us to kind of dialogue for a little bit on here is that um, as I watched your documentary without giving a whole lot out here, but uh, one of the things that really struck me is the, the slickness, the swiftness, the uh, heartlessness of, of evil in the sense that there was a situation in there where it seems without, you know, giving too much away, but it seemed like a Parents literally set their nine-year-old daughter up, uh, some of that around that age, to be yeah. raped. I mean, when I when I, mean, I want to just let's just talk about the evil that it takes a heart or a parent to go that to go to that distance. Then what have you? What did you sense as you went through doing this documentary, especially with, with that particular story? Well, that that story rocked us. That was probably one of the hardest 
interviews to do during the course of, I don't know, 60 or 70 interviews. I mean, because it really did start. Her dad pimped her out. Uh, he went to a flea market and out of the back of his tent, where the front of his tent he's selling tires and oil and, you know, miscellaneous stuff out of the back of the tent. He's selling his, you know, at that point, nine-year-old daughter. And, and that continued for her till she was 21. I mean, that went that went for 12 years almost. Uh, through high school, I mean, when she's done with school, she's going to a hotel to meet up with a guy. Um, that is a horrific example of what just happens. But really, I mean, we, we, you turn on the news, you know, you turn on the radio and you, and you hear about just the world and the stuff that's going on, and it, it makes you shudder. This was like the depth of the depth of the depth of depravity, this whole thing. I mean, it is, it is at its core, like I think you said, the evil, you know. And so that, that story was hard to get through for sure. And uh, just to add on that, you know, a lot of pretty much everybody who hears that will understand how horrible that is and how atrocious uh, that is and how could a parent do that. But a lot of people don't know that the prostitute, the quote-unquote hooker who is walking on the streets, who is a whore who wants this, is, you know, just some woman who's scantily clad who wants this. And what we're trying to reveal in this is no. Prostitution is sex trafficking. That rape and prostitution are flip sides of the same coin, and that the woman that is walking down the street in some skimpy clothing, that woman doesn't want to be there. And even if you walked up to her, paid her, and you had sex with her, she might act like she does, but she doesn't. And if she doesn't get the money from you, she's going to get beaten or potentially killed by her pimp. So she has to fake it. She has to act. And so we try to show both, you know, the obvious, how could someone do this, the worst of the worst? And then, hey, also over here, this is, this is a part of it that people don't think is wrong, but it truly is. Eric and Jason, what do you think is the most important story that you told during this documentary? And what I also hear you saying so far in the interview is that the prostitution world is just dressing it up but it's really all the same thing. I, I think I think our film, um, every time we've screened it in front of some private audiences, everybody in that room has come away with something different. You know, the father is going to take away kind of what Dick talked about, the horror of that. The, the, the guy that's newly married is going to be confronted with that. Um, the woman that watches it has had abuse in her past. Or the man that's watching had abuse in his past. I think what we wanted to do in this film was to hit Everybody at their core, you know, if that's lust, if it's power, if it's pain, if it's, you know what, because of the abuse, I'm not worthy anymore. We wanted to reach out to everybody because this really does touch everybody. It's a universal film and in that it touches on universal problems. Um, and then at the core of that is the savior that wants to reach out to every single one of those people like Eric talked about, the pimp, the John, the guy that's listening right now that has a problem with porn that has not gone out to buy women. And Jesus is speaking to his heart. The, the woman that's been abused and doesn't feel like she's worthy, doesn't feel like she can look a man in the eye because of the abuse she sees in there. Jesus is speaking to her heart. So I think we wanted to create a film that carried a universal message with it. Um, Eric, you got anything else on that? Well, yeah, just the way we accomplished that was uh, by getting people stories. We didn't want our film to be just interview saturated with a bunch of talking head experts explaining what the issue is. We wanted to, to figure out what it looks like firsthand. And so that's why we interviewed all different stories. We, we found out, um, 
different, just different situations on the streets and from different people were able to discover by compiling all these stories um, what this really looked like. And all these stories are powerful. All these stories, as Jason said, touch your heart in a different way. And um, that's probably what we're the most excited about is that God brought us to these these amazing women who have overcome so much. And even some, we've interviewed, interviewed former Johns as well and, and what they've gone through and how they have all now um, met Jesus and have found redemption and have found healing in their hearts. And those stories are, are very powerful. Yes, yes, well, I want to touch on too. I mean, as you segue a couple, both of you have done a good job of just expressing the, the, the Jesus aspect of it. And, uh, I want, I want you to, there was a portion out there when a young lady is talking about a pastor walking into a room, 14 year old lady, and he's thanking God for giving him a 14 year old young girl that he's having about to or having sex with. And as we talk about Christ, especially for us being Christians, how can we contrast that, that, that scene right there of saying, well, you're, you know, I mean, man is evil, but here is a pastor. What, I mean, did that, did that strike you? How did that strike you? Oh, it totally struck us. I think the one thing at the end of the day we had to keep coming back to is, listen, man is man, okay? And if we're going to look to man uh, for anything, we're going to get, it's going to, it's going to fail us and we're going to be disappointed. And so that's why I continue to elevate Jesus throughout the process is like, he's the only one that's perfect. Uh, mm-hmm. the particular story with the pastor, I mean, listen, it doesn't, you go to foxnews.com or cnn.com, every month you're going to probably find some mega church pastor that's had a moral failing. So I think it also really hit us that, you know, lust knows no bounds. There is, it, it, it is not biased in any way. Socioeconomic level, uh, religion, affiliation, ethnic, whatever. It doesn't matter. The lust is lust, and it's going to reach the core and the heart of every man. So I think that's one thing that hit us. Yeah, totally. Guys, guys, I'd like to follow up on the. I'd like to follow up on the lust subject. What, what if there's someone out there listening right now that says, I don't have a problem with lust, or I don't know if I have a problem with with lust. What should I do? Uh, if, if they said that, I don't have a problem with lust. Well, first of all, I, I would probably say, well, do you have a problem with sin? You know what I mean? I, I would probably talk to that person and just express, you know, every everybody will, uh, especially if you're a man, you will deal with that. That is a struggle that is a part of every man. And so if a man is not conscious or aware of that, then um, uh, he should... I don't know. Maybe take a lie detector test. I don't know, but I would I would just say you know just just do what you can to protect yourself. Do what you can to guard your eyes. Do what you can to um, help help others. Help help your sons. Help help the boys that you are around. The young men in your church who are struggling with this. And even if you know you you know in in your past you have struggled with that, continue to protect yourself. And if you're confident that you're that you're through the, the mire of, of uh, that struggle, then just continue to help other other boys who um, who are struggling with this and implement uh, what you have learned and what has helped you um, go through this battle uh, and, and give that to your give that to the guys and also for the women too. Just you you have such um, such power in this and you can mentor and you can love and you can. Um, encourage these girls that are caught up in this, and you can also encourage your daughters, the 
the, and the girls that you know that their worth is, is in who they are, not just in their bodies, not just in their smiles and their faces. It's in their hearts and that they have power, that they have strength, that they have a future. And that is what, that is what we need to be expressing to our girls, that you are worthy, that you have something more to offer than just your looks. Guys, I know we are spending a lot of our time talking about Seattle because this is where you focus a lot of your research, a lot of your your filming and doing this. Um, but you're also talking with someone, obviously, in myself, who has a bit of international flavor. And I do a lot of work with uh, orphanages that are international orphanages, especially in Africa, and where we don't have the the what I would call in the United States a bit of a luxury, regardless of the fact that this is this sin is the same sin no matter how you look at it. And uh, I'm not sure how much you touch on this from an international perspective, but a lot of times uh, when I see this in other areas, um, the young women or young there are orphans that are being misused like this, and the society has pretty much taken on a, a role of well, they deserve it because of whatever, you know, if they were born into certain orphanage or they lost their parents, but then that means it's a, it's a curse upon their lives that it's, uh, they are now engaged with as opposed to a misfortune that needs to be, you know, corrected. Uh, so when you went through this, uh, even though it was we're not on the, the as big an international scene, but it's more the Seattle scene, did you find a lot of these women or uh, especially the victims, if we can call them that, seeming as if they were in a cursed Position, a place where they don't. I mean, I, I know this the self pity. But do you understand where I'm getting at with this? Yeah, I think I think we get it. I, I think Zeke, it looks different, and, and uh, like you said, it's systemic and it comes from this, out of the same place. But in, in across geographic boundaries and, and nations, it's going to look a little bit differently. So yeah. the international piece and the girls there, that's a different stigma there than it is in the states. What we found here, it was. It was girls that you would not suspect. I mean, the girl that opens, one of the girls that opens our film, that she was in high school and junior high, and there was no curse. Her mom was actually considered um, one of the most prominent women in, in her city. And, and so it, it wasn't the girl that had the scarlet letter on her, if, if, you know, if I can use that analogy. It, 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 is, it is something that it, it attacks everybody, you know. And, I mean, when you go to Thailand, we've got a lot of friends that have great organizations that work around the world with these girls. It looks different. It, it, the yep. girls, I mean, everything's a little bit different. So I, I don't want to speak to that. We can really speak to what it looks like domestically, though. Jason and Eric, if someone wanted to get involved in this uh, area of life and really wanted to help out, what would the steps be that you would want to see them take? Talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, and you, you kind of have to look at it, too, from if you're a guy or if you're a girl. And first of all, for a guy, uh, we would just say, um, you know, look at look inside your own heart and and see how you have contributed to this to this uh, atrocity. That if you have looked at porn in the past, you are, you did contribute to this, to this pain that a lot of these girls have, go, have gone through. And obviously, if you bought a girl, then that's, that's obvious that you've contributed to this. So... We would just 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 look inside your own heart and start to implement steps in in your own life to protect you, the guys around you, from looking at porn, from going out and buying a girl. There's a lot of guys that think that's think that's great, you know, going to strip clubs and you know hooking up with some escort 
they they use some fancy words, but really it's all the same thing. These girls are all victims. They're all forced uh, into this in some way or another, whether it's by a pimp or whether it's by um, their families or whether just they ran away from home and they don't have any other choice. They're, they don't want to be in this situation. They'd rather be doing something else. And so as men, we need to fight against this. We need to encourage other men who don't think that this is a problem uh, to stop doing this. And if you're a woman, you know, a, a woman, there's, there's so much you can do as well. You can encourage these girls, and you can be a part of different nonprofits. Uh, one specifically that we covered a lot in the film is the Genesis Project, and they're, um, they need volunteers, and uh, they are a 24-hour drop-in center, and these police are able to pick up minors and um, are able to take them to the center, and then they're able to get help. They're able to get resources, try to get out of this life. So, there's, yeah, there's a lot, a lot that you can get involved in. Um, uh, guys, I want you guys to touch on Before we wrap up here, we were just coming up pretty quickly uh, for this next break. I want you to touch on you had a lot of uh, city officials, government officials, and the police officers are, 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 that were part of this documentary. I mean, tell us about that relationship that you developed with these, uh, these uh, city officials and so forth. Yeah, that was great. We we live in a city, yeah, we're number three in the country for it, but I would say we're number one in the response. Um, from a municipality standpoint to the law enforcement, to the state officials, I mean, Attorney Rob McKenna's in there, Attorney General Rob McKenna, currently running for the governorship. Uh, he's been fighting this issue for a long time. Uh, Seattle Mayor McGinn, SeaTac Vice Unit, Seattle Council members. I mean, the list goes on and on. State legislatures. We live in a in a, in, a, in an area that has a very very architect architect uh, a designed attack, a designed response um, to re- rescue these girls and to put these Johns in jail. So it was great. I mean, we we kept in touch with these people. We've got relationships. They're going to help syndicate uh, the release date out to their offices. Um, it's been very humbling to see the city that we live in and the response that, that is also represented here. We'll be back with more Motivation with a Purpose and the movie Rape for Profit after this message on TalkZone.com. It's time for more Motivation with a Purpose Radio on TalkZone.com. Now, back to your hosts, Rich Hallstrom and Zeke Bambolo. You are listening to Motivation with a Purpose right here on TalkZone.com, show number one, and our stimulating conversation about the inventive and groundbreaking documentary, Rape for Profit, telling us about the human sex trafficking industry and how we can change the world around us. And the two filmmakers, Eric Esau and Jason Pamer, are our guests, and they're definitely making a difference with motivation, with a purpose, and showing that anybody can get out there and change the world around them. And that's one of the big messages of the show that we want to get back to you today, especially with this topic. You can change the world. You are not powerless. And through these stories and through meeting these gentlemen I've come to realize that even more and wanted to say thank you to both you guys for doing this film once again and just showing that that individual people can take a stand and make something happen. What do you think about that, gentlemen? Yeah, absolutely. You know, this is a daunting subject. This is a a, a massive 
problem that it kind of seems like, well, where do I even start? You know, how can I possibly make a difference? I don't know what to do. Um, but, but really, there, you can do so much. And just look at just look at your talents and the gifts that God has given you and see how you can make a difference and, and, and figure out where you, where you are. You know, if, if you're a college student, you can, you can spread the word about, about the film, about different nonprofits, about the subject to uh, your dorm mates. And uh, if you're, you know, some, uh, an older man or older gentleman who wants to uh, mentor some guys to help prevent them from being on the street buying girls, there's just so much that you can do. And, there's so many ways to help. There's tons of different nonprofits who need volunteers, who need donations. And there's a lot of ways that we can help stop this by just looking inside of our own hearts and looking at what we do and how we can best protect ourselves, again, our kids, and also the people around us from getting caught into this. Now, Jason and Eric, you have one particular day that's pretty monumental that's coming up here real soon. December 7th, 2012, the theatrical release of the movie itself. Your thoughts, what are you looking for? What are you looking forward to the most? We're pretty excited. The doors have been open for us to theatrical release at Lincoln Square Cinemas in Bellevue, Washington, which is the most profitable theater in the Pacific Northwest. And so uh, if we have a great run of engagement there, then that gets noticed nationally by industry and studio execs alike. So the doors for us have been have been open before we've come through, which has been great. December 7th is opening weekend, and then it'll have a full week. Depending on how tickets go, we could have a second week as well. Um, so we're excited. Right now we're, we're talking to a lot of the, the big businesses and churches in the area to see if we can get pre-bidded tickets. And then November 1st, the box office will open online at LincolnSquareCinemas.com. And you can go down to, to movies that are being released and find right for profit. The trailer will be on there. Kind of the cool thing about this thing is, too, they're gonna, it's, it's a legitimate theatrical release. So they're going to show the trailer uh, as soon as we submit it to them in the format they need for October, November. We'll put up our poster in the lobby with the other films. So um, they're, they're really helping us and, and going before us on this. Guys, I want you to tell us, it seems like you are using some um, maybe unique, I'm not into the uh, theatrical thing, but maybe it's not as unique as I think, but it seems like you're using some unique ways to get big groups involved and give them a way to uh, to uh, bring a massive uh, or at least large audiences to this uh, release. So tell us about some of the ways that people will be able to buy tickets or bring their churches in, other than just saying you're, you're approaching large businesses, businesses and churches. How are you making that possible for them? Well, if, if we're reaching out to churches, we've got relationships and, and people that know the senior pastors, a lot of these major churches in the Puget Sound area. So I'm, we're reaching out to them and we're asking them to commit to uh, pr- pr- the publicity of the film, showing the trailer during services, putting a blurb in the bulletin. Uh, sending their folks to the online box office when it goes live November 1st. Um, they can, they can reach out to rateforprofitfilm.com. We're gonna, we're gonna be updating people on there. We're gonna provide links and opportunities for people to buy tickets through our site as well. We'll connect it to the correct sites they need to buy the tickets at. Um, and then November 1st it goes live. And so we just want people to, to, uh, purchase a ticket for your loved one or your family. And then come out December 7th for opening weekend. And uh, help us get this message out there because really it's a unique thing. It's a, it's a legitimate theatrical release, but we've got kind of a unique opportunity to pre-sell tickets um, before it actually opens. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, yeah. At, at, at this point, it seems like you just you, you're talking only about LinkedIn. Do you have plans for other areas that are cities by any chance? So, what are your thoughts right now, and, and what what uh, what are you depending on to probably make this more of a massive uh, release, if possible? Yeah, our first step is to um, first do it at LinkedIn to um, kind of pack out those that first uh, week and second week, and and then really the sky's the limit. If we're able to get um, 5,000, 10,000 tickets sold and get those people to theaters, we could very well um, do a uh, another release more in our area and then also to different cities across the U.S. So this is this is the first step, um, and we're just hoping to get as many people there as we can to see the film, to spread the word. Uh, we have our, a Facebook page, Rate for Profit the Film, that people can go to and also get updates. And uh, that's, that's kind of the, the first place we'd want to take people to is Lincoln Square Cinemas in Bellevue, Washington, on that December 7th. So is there, is there a way, if there are other entities out there that are, you know, somewhat maybe large or are able to come and do, give you some, are you out there seeking for potential to have some others, uh, bring some weight behind backing you to do something greater if possible? Because I think this, this is a message that God has in my, I, just by watching the film myself, guys, I was greatly moving. I know these things are happening. Thank you. But when you confront it and you see it firsthand and you sort of think, you know, so I feel, it needs to be a lot broader. So, are you willing to open the doors for others to come in and partner with you? And how can how can a, a larger maybe entity do that with you? Well, I think I think uh, there's definite opportunity and definite space available to partner with the film. I mean, our we first made this film. We we said, you know what, we want to get this into streams of large international nonprofits that could use the film to help generate donor dollars, generate awareness about what they're doing. So I think we are totally excited and open to partnering with whoever comes our way um, that's helping to, to provide the solution to this issue. I think for us, from a, from a film standpoint, though, it starts at Lincoln Square Cinemas. If we have a great run of engagement there, that opens the doors for us to release in L.A. and New York and D.C. and the major U.S. cities, and then to talk about maybe an even international release and what does that look like. I mean, it really it puts us on the maps of major distributors as well. I mean, in, in this industry... The dollar, the almighty dollar, is the bottom line. And so if ticket sales are generated and people see, you know, from an earthly standpoint, hey, it's generating revenue, then, then God uses that to open up great doors for us to spread the film to the ends of the earth. Jason and Eric, I want to follow up on Zeke's question and ask just what has been some of the reaction to the film content itself by the movie industry? Well, we took a trip down to L.A., um, early August, and we sat down with with industry titans, guys that have managed two to three hundred million dollars major motion picture budgets, and we watched the entire film with these guys, and they gave us tremendous feedback. I mean, I think the general consensus was the story was told well and told in a compelling way. Um, it, it really reaches to the depths of, of their souls, and so we came back and made some edits according to their feedback. And so the people in the industry that we've shown, it's been it's been really humbling actually the feedback. In fact, one of the guys down in L.A is doing a, a review for us in the Huffington Post and in Fox News. Um, and so these things are just, it's God's grace upon the film. Mm-hmm. When you dream about where you could see this film go, you know, nobody's listening. Okay, guys, i got to do it this way. Nobody's listening to the show. It's just you and me. It's just you and I talking. Uh, what are your dreams for the- When you dream about this project now that has come full circle, what are those dreams? Yeah, our, what are those dreams like? Our dream has, from the beginning, has always been to. We want.
want as many girls as possible to be saved through this film. And we want as many men as possible to be, A, either taken off the streets, to take themselves off the streets, and to also prevent um, themselves from getting caught up in this. And so our prayer is that just as many people as possible can see this film. Uh, no matter where they are, if they're in Seattle or if they're in Phoenix or New York or Miami, wherever they might be, we hope that they can see this film in order to maybe help help start a movement of people that are um, determined to help stop this, to rescue girls. We just want, we, we want this to stop, and we just pray that God uses this film. We pray that, um, that this film can be seen by as many people as possible in order to stop this. Yeah, guys, so here's something, you know, as we, you know, continue here and we come into uh, the MA, one hour is never long enough what I found as I do these shows and, and so forth. But mm-hmm. here's something that really struck me. And there's a, it's the psychology of the situation that these people are, these people are dealing with. Whether they are the unhealthy parent models, uh, that we have that led these young people, boy, the, the Johns and the, uh, uh, the, the pimps or the, the victims, or it's, you know, the problem that we describe, I think, I think it says back with the family, but there, there's a psychological model that is being put forth by each participant in this act. And I think what I enjoyed, what I like from your film, if you can touch on a little bit for me, is that you, you did a good job of, of displaying both by talking to some of the Johns and what they were dealing with, obviously talking to the girls and what they were, and the Pims, and how do you contrast those two different people, those personalities, in how you presented this film? That's a good question, Zeke. Um, I'm not even sure exactly how to answer that. I think, I think you know, it's, it's because it took us so long, it, you know, it, it was a bad thing on one hand, but on the other hand it was good because it allowed us to kind of think through and to get enough body of evidence in all three of these different groups to kind of compare and contrast and to go, okay, well, you know, a pimp is going to be thinking like this most likely, and, and this is the way that he was uh, tr- uh, raised, generally right. speaking, and this is the way that the victim kind of was raised, and this is the way that John was raised. And, and then what we found, though, is we looked above, and we kind of saw these, these threads that linked the three groups together. As, as different as they are, there was a lot of commonalities between them. You know, it, again, I mean, I, I don't want to keep saying the same thing over and over again, but it's in the family. The Johns came from abusive situations. The Johns came from a situation where you did not have a loving mother and father, you know, modeling that healthy relationship. The pimp, the same thing. The girl, the same thing. So what we kept coming back to is, man, the lack of a healthy family unit and and the, the, the consistent just tearing down of the family unit and all these different spheres builds into this reality. Guys, you, I mean, you answered the question perfectly. That's exactly what I was hoping to hear because I think as I watched it too, it, it was, that was a pretty common thread is that we are right back. People say the source is the John or the source of the problem is men. The source of the problem, you know, I understand authentic manhood and how it impacts our society. But at the end of the day, the source of the problem is the unhealthy family. And we, if we continue to go high year and cut the legs of the families and, 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 and send wrecking balls against the, the, the home, uh, all we do is generate more of this problem. And it's been there for ages, for, for centuries. This problem is the family that, that really matters when it comes to solving this, these issues. And, Zeke, I want to jump right in here and say, guys, Zeke has touched on a lot of family-related issues, and so have you today. But along with the family, it's just a very overall look at relationships. 
all the relationships that we have in life. What do you guys think? That, um, yeah, I mean, our relationships are, uh, I mean, obviously God gave us those relationships and it is definitely a, an interesting, yeah, an interesting topic. And yeah, I'm also kind of having a little hard time trying to figure out how to answer that because we are, we are people of, of relationships and without having strong, solid relationships and really loving other people, then it can quickly spiral out of control. I mean, you know, you just look at these Johns, they, you know, they don't start off all of a sudden saying, I want to go buy a prostitute on the street. It starts off with, yeah, hey, maybe I'm going to look at this picture and I'm 13 years old. And they just continue going on that process. And as uh, one interview in our film, Victor Malrick stated that pornography is the dress rehearsal and uh, prostitution is the main act. And that these Johns, slowly start to twist, see these girls and it starts to twist how they perceive women and that women slowly become more objects to them and that they no longer are able to look at women in the eye and are able to have a heart-to-heart relationship with them. That it just becomes this, I'm going to use you, I'm going to use you, I'm going to use you. And they really don't see them as, as people. And one of the Johns we actually interviewed said, I couldn't, I couldn't even look at them. Because once I looked into their eyes and saw their pain, it just, it broke me because I just bought them and used them for sex. And so, yeah, we, we have to teach our boys to have, um, to have healthy relationships with girls and vice versa and have girls be able to see that these, that men, they're not your source of happiness. They're not your source of joy and of purpose and value. That only comes from God. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, a deep, deep issue. Well, and, and one last thing, if I can, you know, evil in it is not an entity in itself. It's a perversion of something good, right? It doesn't exist alone. It's just a twisting, a slight twist sometimes, a greater twist other times. Satan does a good job of taking truth and then taking enough of truth and making a great lie. And so every one of these things at its base is good. You know, sex is made by God. Relationship is made by God. Uh, you know, uh, all these things. I mean, the girls even refer to the pimps as their daddy, or they refer to their other prostituted girls as, like, a family. So you, you look at these these terms. I mean, it's the English language, right? I mean, it's not the Greek. It, it, these terms that, 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 that are good, right, that God has created, family, daddy, me, and they've perverted it, they've twisted it. But they're all reaching back to this original design and vision of order. And we found that fascinating that, you know, they, they, it wasn't a complete 180, it was like, you know, 101 degrees instead of 100. It was just the wrong way, but, it, but they were still reaching back for things that they were created to reach for. Mm-hmm. Excellent, excellent way to close the show, lady show guys. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been the first edition of Motivation with a Purpose on TalkZone.com. Our guests have been Eric Esau and Jason Pamer, the creators of the documentary film, very important documentary film, Rape for Profit. We'll be back next week with another motivational story to change your life right here on Motivation with a Purpose on TalkZone.com. For Zeke Bambolo, I'm Rich Hallstrom. Have a great weekend.